My mom listens. Yeah, my mom does too. <laughs> Whenever I say something about it, my mom's like, I don't know what that is. And then just continues on. I'm like, cool. Not, not going <laughs> to ask. All right. <laughs> Welcome to Beyond the Screams. This month is all about childhood scares. And we're going to share some stories from our friends about spooky experiences they had when they were young. So we're going to get right into our stories. Our first story comes from Holly's friend, Chris, who lived in a haunted house in Chicago. I had no idea Chicago was super haunted, but that town is super haunted. It is. Yeah. It's a pretty old, old city. Old, yeah, very old city, lots of history, lots of mob affiliation. I live in a very old house, 1888. The theater I perform at is haunted, and I have friends who grew up in haunted houses as well. And America's like first serial killer, H.H. Holmes, is from Chicago. Yeah. So, murder hotel. I mean, if you have a reputation of the Chicago burning, the mob, murder hotel, you got some ghosts in your city. Yeah. I have a friend named Chris who grew up on the northwest side of Chicago, and he grew up in a haunted house, and he told me a really creepy story. I 100% lived in a haunted house when I grew up, you know. Grew up on the northwest side in Portage Park, essentially. So, like, Beaumont, Austin. And, like, uh, the two flat I lived in, I'm pretty sure the previous owner may have died there. And so the ghost in our in our apartment, so we live in a two flat. So the ghost in our apartment was fairly friendly, you know, um, mostly just changing TV channels regularly. My dad was like, "No, TV is just broken, you know. It's it's fine, you know. It's just you 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 just get up and put it back. The the switches." And it's like, "No, Dad." Like, I would try and explain, but you know, nobody's gonna listen to the little kid. But straight up, TV channels would change. It was always at the same time um, during the day over the summer when I was home. It would switch to channel two frequently, like every day at like 10 a.m. I'd be watching whatever was on uh, PBS, you know, Mr. Rogers or Sesame Street or whatever, and it would just automatically flip to whatever was showing on channel two at that time. I can't remember. And I would always get up, put it back because we didn't have remote control because it was 1981, 82 or whatever. I would get up, put it back, and then I'd sit down and then eventually I'd be like, stop doing that. And it would stop. This was a regular occurrence, like every day over the summer. For as long as we we had a regular TV that wasn't cable. I knew we, we hit the big time when we got a second TV in the kitchen, like a little one with the, with the dial, you know? It would happen in there, too. So that's when I knew it wasn't just a broken... Like, the dials are... They're just, like, just automatically, like... Now that I have more of an understanding of how electronics work, I could see in my head, like, well, you know, I could maybe see how it would just automatically, like... There's something shorting and it's just switching to to a channel. But, like, at the same time every day... I don't know about that, but the same thing would happen in our kitchen on our little dial TV, and it would always, again, switch to channel two. This guy had some obsession with with CBS. I don't know. That would happen pretty frequently upstairs. You know, things would occasionally like end up in different places, and that would scare the crap out of me. You know, doors would just randomly close on their own, but never anything dangerous or uncomfortable. It was mostly like startling. I think at some point when I was a kid, I was like, invisible roommate. My parents never witnessed anything. You know, I ask them about it all the time. They're like, ah, you know, you were little, you were imagining it. I'm like, I'm not imagining it. Because, you know, little kids are tend to be more tuned into stuff like that, you know? I mean, even as an adult, like, I don't I don't pay attention to what's going on as much unless, like, 
something is like jarring. You know, if I hear a noise in the house, I'll get up and look and see what's going on. If I hear a noise outside, I'll get up and look what's going on. But like, I don't pay attention to like little things. Anyway, the upstairs ghost, totally cool. No problems with him. He's totally fine. Um, the, the basement ghost, that was some like borderline poltergeist shit. Like I always got like an uneasy feeling down there. Like I would go down there with my mom to do laundry. It was an unfinished basement. So it was pretty much just storage. Because it was this big open basement, you know, I could ride my bike down there in the winter. I could play catch with friends or whatever. It, it was a big open space that you could play in. And it was great until things start, would start acting weird. And then I was like, all right, guys, let's leave. It would always start small. So the back of our house, before we moved in, a long, you know, ages before we moved in, it was like the traditional Chicago two-flat where the back porches were open. It was just basically an outdoor porch that was stairs going downstairs. At some point, all of those were built up to have enclosed back porches. So when you went downstairs, most of those houses, the basement still had a screen door in front of the, the regular door, and ours was no exception to that. And it would always start with, like, the screen door kind of, like, gently banging against the, the main door into the basement. And, like, it would always be the same thing. It was always, like, you open the door, see what's going on, and it would just be, like, it would be there. I think the creepiest thing was one time that happened, and I opened the door, and the lat, the little metal hook that we never, like, latched, was latched. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, no, nah, that's not right. I should leave. Uh, there were times where, like, the light switches would switch on and off. We had a boiler, since it's, like, an old school, like, this is, this is, like, a boiler that was probably put in, like, the 50s or 60s, like, a big, huge thing to pass, rate like, radiant heat through both apartments. Once every so often, my dad would have to go and, like, drain out the, the gross brown water and dump it. And if somebody was down, it only happened when there was somebody down there. Like, that thing would just start, would open up, and that, that gross-ass brown water would just start coming. It's like, ah! And he's closing this run upstairs. The freakiest thing, and then my mom swears she has an explanation for, but it doesn't add up. <laughs> so I was leaving to go to my friend's house. I was, I was going out the back door, because that's where my bike was. So I'm going out the back door, and I get to the bottom of the stairs, and the screen door was closed, because I remember, like, look, because I would always kind of just look down there, just all of a sudden just... Really, really quick and sharp. Like some, like my mom says it was wind coming from the, the crack in the front door to the basement from underneath the, the, the outside door. Like there's some wind breeze causing that to happen, but no, because it wasn't like, you know, just smack, smack. It was like somebody was holding it and going like jamming it against the door jam as hard as they could. And I froze. I think that may have been, uh, one of the first times I ever said the F word. <laughs> <laughs> I bolted out the back door, leaving the back door open. I have what doctors call a weight problem. So I'm not the most agile person when it comes to moving. I was never great at jumping fences, but I jumped all the fences between my house and my uh, my friend's house, like four doors down. <laughs> and I'm banging on his back door. I'm like, I mean, ghost, ghost, slamming screen door. Things are bad right now. And like, you know, eventually, you know, I went home. I told my mom what happened. And she's like, well, you know, probably the window in the, the staircase in the front was up. I'm like, nope. Not, that's not, it wasn't drafts. That was 100% something. You know, my, my dad was always like, oh no, you know, oh, things leak. I'm like, yeah, but things don't turn on their own, you know, like, and like, he'll be like, you know, the, the, maybe the lights are just flickering on and off. I'm like, yeah, but they're not, the, the switch isn't moving, you know? Um, you know, things would, f I would be playing down there and like things would just like fly off the shelf across the room. I would go in the basement and I would find my, my old kids' toys arranged in the middle of the room that had been in boxes, not touched. I would ask my mom about that, and she would be like, well, you know, um, our downstairs neighbor, she has grandkids. I'm like, yeah, but they live in Minnesota, mom. 
<laughs> and we would know if they were here because I know them and I play with them when they're here. And like, there was always like some sort of like, we're, we don't want, we're, we're going to calm, we're going to calm the boy down <laughs> and, you know, come up with something. And like, it was like, are you sure that you didn't like, let, let like the kids next door into the basement to play? I'm like, I'm positive. I would remember that mom, all sorts of creepy shit that went on down there. You know, we moved out of that house in December of 88. No, sorry, November of 88. And then in December of 88, my grandfather, my mom's dad died. He was really sick. He had emphysema. He was, you know, on a breathing machine and stuff. And at Thanksgiving, he was saying, you know, I'm starting to feel a little bit better. I'll probably, I may not be able to make it to your house on Christmas, but I'll, I'll definitely come on New Year's Day and see the new house and all that because he hadn't seen it. At some point between Christmas Day and New Year's Day, my grandfather died. And then New Year's morning. So the, the thing about my grandfather, he was a smoker. In his kitchen, he had like this crystal ashtray. As he would smoke, he would arrange the cigarettes in a circle around the periphery of the ashtray and it would build up little walls until, you know, it was to the top. And then once he had a row, of th- a row of three cigarettes all the way to the top, all the way around, he would dump it and just start over. The night before, my dad, my dad's dad, and my uncle, who was living in our basement on New Year's Eve, they were playing cards and smoking in the kitchen and stuff like that. And the next morning, my mom woke up and she went in the kitchen and in the ashtray, all of the cigarettes were exactly how my grandfather would stack them. She woke me up, well, she woke my dad up first and asked him if he did that. And he's like, no, those, we left them just however. And then she woke me up and asked me if I did that. I'm like, no, why would I do that? You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm traumatized enough about my grandfather's death. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to be perpetuating this thing. So I didn't do that. And so like 100%, like that was like this creepy thing that happened in our new house. And that was the last creepy thing that happened at my childhood house. Uh, or not my childhood house, but the house we lived in after we moved out of my childhood house. I, I think maybe after that, my my parents may have uh, realized that maybe maybe uh, maybe their weirdo kid was onto something there with this whole ghost business. Our next story also takes place in Chicago, and this is from my brother-in-law Nelson, who's going to tell us about his haunted house and connecting with the spirits through a Ouija board. This house is in Chicago. Well, it's easily over 100 years old uh, in a neighborhood named Mayfair, uh, which is adjacent to Old Irving Park. Uh, and in this neighborhood, it's nearby railroad trains, uh, and it used to be farmland in Chicago a long time ago. Tons of stories in the neighborhood of houses that are haunted. Uh, I grew up going to an Irish Catholic elementary school uh, where everybody had a story, it seemed. You know, everybody lived in a house that something was happening. You know, we tested those theories uh, every time we had some kind of get-together in those houses. And sure enough, we, you know, it ended up with kids running out of the house screaming in fear. Yeah, it was just something that was always kind of around growing up here in this neighborhood in, this neighborhood in Chicago. Um, so we moved into that house when I was seven years old. It was on a, a double lot in Chicago, which is kind of rare. We had a driveway, again, which was kind of rare. And again, it's like a hundred years old, so it creaked, it made noises, and you never knew if it was just because it was old or something else. We had all kinds of family stay with us, um, whether they were there for a few months, a couple years, or even just, you know, while on vacation for a week or so. Every time somebody stayed at the house, they, you know, the next morning, you know, they say, hey, were you guys walking around at night? Were, did you guys open my window in the room? You know, something always happened that was kind of like, hmm, nope, <laughs> it wasn't us. 
Um, maybe you, we always blamed it on them. Maybe you got up and you were hot and you opened the window, what have you. But it just seems like something always randomly or weird, you know, something strange happened. It wasn't uh, rare to, to hear steps right behind you as you were walking up the stairs, which was, it never not got scary. You know, it was always like, you always check behind you and like, who was that? Again, you would just always blame it on, it's an old house, it's going to make these creaks. It was very clear. It just sounded like somebody was following you up, which was, you know, right now I'm talking about it and I literally have goosebumps uh, from those feelings when I was little. You know, I just learned to pull the blankets up a little bit higher over my face and kind of ignore it uh, and pretend I didn't hear it. Another time it was blatantly obvious was when I had cut school left a little early, if you will. And I knew nobody was home. My dad was working. My mom, my mother was at work and my sister was at school. So I'm like, I have the house to myself. I'm going to, you know, just have a little vacay, little vacay day. So I remember getting home and, and getting inside the house, going upstairs. My room was upstairs in the second, second floor. So I went upstairs, um, dropped off all my stuff and went to the upstairs bathroom. And when I was in the bathroom, I again heard the steps, but this time it wasn't like right after me. It was like a few minutes. I mean, I had already kind of changed and everything. It was definitely like at least anywhere between like five to ten minutes after I was already upstairs and already in the washroom or in the bathroom where I hear steps walking up. And it was so clear and it was so obvious that it was something coming up the stairs. But I was alone. I was alone in the house, and I remember calling out my sister's name, calling out my parents, and no answer. And the steps literally walked right up to the bathroom door, and I literally just started crying. I, I stayed in there until my sister got home from school. Like, I did not leave that bathroom that day. That was my lesson learned, to, like, not cut school and go home. <laughs> if I was going to do that, I was just not going to go home. <laughs> I heard a lot of stories growing up of like door slamming and things like that. Things like that never really happened at the house. You would hear a door close, but it wouldn't slam. You would hear or you would wake up to your window being wide open, which was, you know, it could be in the middle of the winter. Why would you open your own window? Steps following you around the house. That was like the, the obvious one. One of my birthday parties, I don't remember exactly which one it was, but we decided or one of my cousins brought over a Ouija board to play. And like, that's like the, always the beginning of, you know, terrifying story, right? I guess it's not so terrifying. It's just what we found out was kind of eye opening. So as we were playing, it was a slow, like a slow start. Like we weren't getting anything. And, you know, I, I do want to like state, you know, how people say, well, you guys were moving the Ouija board and stuff like that to get three or four people to coordinate and move together smoothly across a board is impossible. It either moves for you or it doesn't, but there's no confusing it when it does. That's just my, my statement on it, because I remember the feeling and, again, even to coordinate answers. Like, that's just impossible for people who are playing this thing together to, to get to. So anyways, it was one of my birthdays and we started playing. I'm guessing we were like early teenage years. Um, and they all kind of already knew. I, and I think that's why one of my cousins said, I'm going to bring the Ouija board because we got to find out. What's going on at your house? And, you know, I was reluctant. I think my sister and I who live there were reluctant because we we didn't want to know what we already knew. So we're like, nah, thanks. We're cool. But it was there and we were. it was a party. So we're like, what can happen? There's so many people at the house. And I, all the grownups were 
um, in another room. You know, all the all the younger or teenage kids were in another room. And I remember one of my cousins, who I love, he's uh, literally a brother to me because, you know, I grew up in a huge family of 100 cousins. And we all got together a lot of times growing up. Our, our direct family was only my sister and I. So we're really small compared to everybody else. Everybody else, there was like families of seven, eight, you know, ten. ten. I mean, it's just, it was ridiculous. You know, my cousin Raul grew up playing with him. He, we lived nearby and we just, we were just inseparable growing up. But as a brother, you know, he's, he challenged you. He challenged me all the time and he bullied me in, in a loving way because uh, I was younger than him. And, he, you know, I guess he was just trying to protect me. I don't know. When we started playing, I remember him walking into the room and started screaming at us. You know, he's like, what are you guys doing? This is all bullshit. Don't believe this. He would say that, but then also say, he's like, you're opening up for like the devil and the demons and all these things. So I just, I don't know, maybe it was a self-defense mechanism for himself, you know, so he wouldn't be afraid because he was never really in the room. He would come in and then leave, come in to see what we were doing and then leave. And then he would say, I'm going to tell on you guys and then leave and then come back. He's like, what did it say? You know, he was just always kind of curious to see what, what was going on. Once we got it going, because I remember it was slow. It just wasn't working. It wasn't working. And maybe it was like when, um, at some point when Raul came in there, you know, just cursing at us or cursing at it and just, you know, saying that it was a bunch of bullshit. That it, it I think eventually did start moving and, and we started asking, you know, immature questions, honestly, like prove to us that this is real. And if you're real, you know, what color underwear is this, is so and so wearing? And it wouldn't, it, you know, really wouldn't answer any of those questions until we got to the serious ones. I think once we got to the serious ones, it finally is like, okay, these kids, you know, they want to know what's going on. So uh, one of those questions was, we know there's something going on. Are there any spirits in the house? And that's when it really like jolted to the yes on it. And we're like, really? Okay, well, is it one spirit? Is it more spirits? There's numbers on the board. So it, it went to, it was like seven spirits or something like that in the house. Yeah, seven spirits. And we're like, okay, are they evil? Um, are they nice? And right before it answered some of the, like, that question, Raul would come back in the room. He's like, you guys still doing that? Stop playing that shit. At one point, the piece in the middle, I forget what it's called, it started, like, moving to side and side. Like, all of us just kind of, like, started doing, like, a circle motion on the board really fast to the point where we all let it go. And it still kind of, like, spun around a little bit. <laughs> and I think Raul saw that because he, he, like, ran out of the room at that point. But then it wouldn't move for another, like, I don't know, good, a good five minutes. It just wouldn't do anything. And we were about to give up. You know, we started playing again and it started moving for us. And we said, you know, we wanted to know why it stopped playing. And it spelled Raul on the board. It, spe it spelled Raul on the board. <laughs> That's when we asked it, like, do you like Raul? And it said, yes. So we're like, oh, that's okay. So what's wrong? And, and then it, 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 it spelled evil. What happens with that is that you're you're starting to ask it like, okay, is Raul evil? You know what's going on? We then we remember that it told us there was four evil spirits in the house of the seven. Four of them were evil or bad. So we're like, okay, the bad ones don't like Raul, and the, and then went to yes, and we're like, oh shit, okay. Uh, oh, another thing that happened too that was so interesting is that sometimes we were playing fine and it would stop, and we would ask it why, and it would tell us because an evil spirit was present in the room at the time so the good spirit would stop playing yeah that again is like giving me chills when remembering that as we're having this conversation yeah that was wild because like 
you're just picturing yourself playing with this portal, if you will, right? And there's like an evil spirit right there next to it. We got to the point where we asked it, well, will these evil spirits harm us? And it said yes. And we're like, how? And it would start spelling out change, change. And we're like, do you want us to change? Well, what do you mean by change? And they'd be like, no. Well, what do you mean? And then it went to no, and then change. So it's a no, and spell out change. We didn't know what that meant, but we kind of got freaked out at that moment. We're just like, okay, this is getting weird. It's not being very clear of what it means to not change. or And the fact that there was like evil presence around us freaked us out. So we kind of, we just put it away. And we decided, okay, we're, you know, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to say anything. We, we just stopped playing that, that night, the next morning. And we had talked about this, but I just didn't remember. The next morning, my dad was setting up to chop down these two gigantic pine trees that were in front of the house. I had no idea. I wasn't even, make, con- by that time, honestly, I had forgotten. Not, not really forgotten, but I just wasn't con- like connecting the dots or thinking about it. But there goes my dad. And by the way, my dad owns a landscaping business, and he's been chopping trees down a very long time. He's extra safe. He does this, like again, professionally. has never fallen, anything like that. But there goes my dad, up with his chainsaw and his ropes to cut down these two pine trees. I think he got one down and climbed up the second one. And when he got up the second one, I don't know what happened. All I remember is just uh, from inside the house, hearing my like something fall, cracking down the branches. We all ran out the house, and my dad was luckily still hanging um, from the rope when when I guess the ropes finally caught. But he had landed on his chest on one of the branches and broke three of his ribs. As soon as, like, I saw that, I just kind of remembered the whole thing of the night before, and it said no change. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, the evil spirits, like, pushed my dad because he was making a change in the house. I don't think to this day we've ever told him that we played the Ouija board at the house, A, and B, that I told us not to do anything to the house like that. You know, I'm a grown man at this point, but I still don't want to tell my dad that story. So I actually did have an experience in Nelson's house when I stayed there for two months, right when I moved to Chicago, uh, right after Boston, funny enough. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have a story about New England coming up next. And I definitely heard footsteps coming up the stairs. It was at night. I was in bed and someone turned the lights on for the second floor. I was the only one staying on the second floor. There's two bedrooms there and a bathroom. And I heard footsteps just walking up the stairs and they walk to the bathroom, turn the light on in the bathroom, turn it off. And then they come right to the doorway in the room that I was staying, stand there for what felt like five minutes and then walk back down the stairs and turn the light off. The next morning, I asked Nelson, like, did your parents come upstairs or did you come upstairs? And he's like, no, none of that. And then that's when they told me, by the way, the house is haunted. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) So spooky. (laughs) You're telling me this now? (laughs) Holly, you live in Chicago. Like, you have any weird experiences in your house? I do. Well, yeah, my I grew up in like a south suburb, but I did have some creepy experiences just seeing 
weird things at night. I've always been a terrible sleeper. Like I wake up and I have a hard time going to sleep at night. And so I'm very awake. It's not that like, oh, I'm sleepy or kind of like in between that sleep and awake state. It's I am awake and I cannot fall back asleep. And I remember a few times this happening where uh, I kept my bedroom door open and my sister's bedroom was right next to mine and then our parents next to hers. So it was the hallway right outside my door. And I remember seeing what looked like a lit, like somebody's like long arm, like reaching out the side of like the frame, like reaching into my doorway. But it was like very pale and like luminescent, almost like almost like this very soft glow about it. And I I saw that. And one time I saw what looked like the shape of a it was kind of like oblong, but like a head figure. And it sort of like peeked around the corner. That was yeah, that was really creepy. These sound very much like uh, encounters of the of the third kind. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Which is very scary. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I remember watching uh, like Unsolved Mysteries and seeing representations of like the greys for the first time, and that scared the shit out of me. (laughs) Uh, But I I have friends who at the Music Box Theater, they'd be doing Spotlight, and there's somebody named Whitey who was said to have died on the couch that is still at the music box in the lobby. I think it's up in the balcony now. But um, they would be doing spotlight and then like things would move or like things would hit them or something, not like hard or anything, but just like knock against them when they are literally the only person up on the balcony. So that's fun. So every time you go up to uh, do the spotlight, you do a little shot to Whitey. Yeah, but the OG spooky area is New England. Mm-hmm. And that's where our next story comes from. One of my good friends, Alicia, grew up in New England in Mass. And here's her story. All of my life, I kind of have dealt with spooky things, supernatural, things that can't really be explained, seeing things out of the corner of my eye. I've just always been more susceptible to that. And I grew up in New England, which is a place that is known to be haunted. You know, we kind of like started the, the US of A. These are some things that have happened to me. One of the first things I can recall, I was probably around eight years old. And I was playing in the street with a friend of mine near my grandmother's house. And my grandmother grew up, oh, well, she didn't grow up. She lived in the same house that my father grew up in. They, they had had it since probably like the 60s and they had a neighbor that was adjacent over the fence behind picture like home improvement it was those two houses so we were playing behind the other house the other house across the fence and all of a sudden we this child just appeared this boy who was maybe six and he's just staring at us and he looked kind of sullen maybe Like there wasn't life in him. He looked dead. So we were like, do you want to play with us? And he just kept staring at us. And we were like, okay. And just kind of, you know, looked away, played together, looked back. He was still just standing there staring. And Sarah and I both go, um, let's just go home and eat some food and pretend this never happened. So we go back and my grandmother asks, you know, what, you know, what were you doing? How was playing outside? And we tell her about the creepy kid. 
and where he was, I said, you know, Nanny, he was dressed not normal. He had on clothes that like I personally wouldn't wear. And she was like, what do you what do you mean by that? And I was like, I don't know. His shirts like he just was dressed weird, like his pants flared out, like his shirt was striped and his hair was not like normal. And as a kid, I didn't know what the 1970s meant. But the look now as an adult was 1970s. And my grandmother goes, huh, what color was his hair? It was pretty dark. You said he was like six ish. Yeah. And she pulls out a picture of a kid and she goes, is this the kid? Same exact outfit, same child. I was like, yeah, that's the little boy that we saw. And she goes, oh. And she didn't tell me at the time. But as an adult, I told her, I was like, hey, you remember that weird kid I saw on the street? And she goes, oh, yeah. I didn't tell you because you didn't understand. But our neighbor's son was hit by a train. And that's the kid in the picture that you said that you saw. I was like, oh, cool. Nice to know a ghost child attempted to play wall ball with my friend and I. So, <laughs> so that happened. So that's one story. Something else that happened to me that was scarier than this. I lived in low-income housing and like a housing project and a lot of just like weird stuff would happen. You know, you're taking a shower, everything's fine, singing your songs, and all of a sudden you're just like, ooh, someone's in this room. You move the curtain, no one's there. But you feel it. You know that someone's in there. Or you're doing your makeup and then all of a sudden you just get the feeling that somebody's looking over your shoulder but you don't see someone, but you can feel it. Just that weird feeling. And one time my friend and I are in my bedroom. We had a chair on top of a mattress because, you know, kids do things like that. The chair just almost looked like somebody kicked it and it just like almost flew like off the mattress onto the ground. So my friend and I scream, run downstairs. My mom makes up excuses. Oh, that was nothing. Don't worry about that. I was like, "Ah, I'll sleep on the couch tonight. A month later, I wake up with a night terror just screaming at the top of my lungs my friend was sleeping over and he thought that I was being murdered it was he said it was one of the scariest things that's ever happened to him and I don't remember any reason as to why I was screaming so intensely he goes back he tells me that I immediately fell back asleep and he started playing video games because he was too scared to go back to bed and then a few days later I'm in that same bedroom I'm sleeping and I feel the need to pee I get up And I had that same feeling that I talked about earlier where I don't see something, but I know that something is in the something is there. It's just a strange feeling. And I know that almost everyone has felt it. And, you know, as humans, we're just like our mind is playing tricks on us. The shadow that I'm seeing out of the corner of my eye is just a mind game. I've seen too many scary movies. Maybe I shouldn't be watching Ghost Adventures before bed. Things like that. And it felt like such a guttural fear at the moment and I tried to ignore it because I really had to pee so I went to get up and I I could not move like I felt like the rock was sitting on my back like I just I couldn't move and I heard something in my ear whisper my name Alicia and I was like oh hell no so I tried to get up and I yet again, I couldn't move. And it started speaking in a language that I don't know. And to be fair, I don't know any language but English. So it could have been Polish. I, I don't know. But this thing just starts yelling or whispering. I was like, no, not going to happen. So I was raised Catholic. I don't believe in it anymore. But my Catholic mind immediately just goes, 
our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I just start saying it over and over. And I'm like, Jesus, if you are true, if you are real, get this Polish rock Dwayne Johnson off of me, please, immediately. It didn't work until I went to, and that was just in my head. I wasn't even saying it out loud. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to say something out loud. And I go to scream my mom's name and I scream and nothing happened. I just, it was silent but I could feel myself screaming at the top of my lungs for my mom to come help me. After I yelled my grandmother's name who passed away, it stopped. And I jumped up and I was crying and I ran into my mom's room and she was like, oh my goodness, what's wrong with this child now? And I told her, I was like, something was holding me down. I couldn't get up, mom. Like, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not lying. And she grabbed me to hold me and told me, I was wearing a tank top so you could see my back. She told me that there was a handprint that looked like a bruise on my shoulder that was pushing me down so the next day we go to our church and we bring a bottle of water and we're like hey father rivera do you mind and he's like all right so he blesses it we go home we like splash the house he says you know if you want me to make a house visit after if something else happens i'll come by and my mother and i switched bedrooms and ever since i switched bedrooms with her nothing ever happened to me again in that house and nothing ever happened to her so I don't know if maybe when I yelled out for my grandmother maybe you know who knows what happens on the other side maybe she saw it she saw that demon and she was like no I don't think so buddy and shoved him aside but I've never had anything that felt that scary happen to me ever again I have seen ghosts ever since but it's never been felt malicious or malevolent um, ever since that time I got to say the it's so interesting when people go back to their Catholicism in times of spooky stuff, you know, going to the church, getting whole quote unquote holy water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting because, yeah, like a lot of us don't necessarily I mean, I don't go to church. I grew up Catholic. I don't go to church. And I know, Patrick, you're like, what's church? Yeah, <laughs> I, I stopped believing God at like 15. <laughs> What's church? It's hard to say what I would do in that situation, but I feel kind of like a hypocrite because I probably would start saying the Our Father, you know? And I'm like, well, does that mean I believe in it then? Uh, I mean, even when I, um, like, I I see an ambulance go by or something, I still have the impulse to, like, do the sign of the cross, like, just to be like, all right, like, I hope that person is going to be okay. Um, And it's like, well, what what is that doing? (laughs) You know where that comes from? A lot of times when people get stuck in somewhat of a abusive situation, they tend to go back to things that make them comfortable and religion is somewhat of abuse. No, let's take all that out. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. No, that's a very fair. Yes, it is. That's a very fair statement. It is. Yeah, you just kind of like it's ingrained in you so much as a child that, you know, if you grew up religious, that God's going to save you. God's going to do this. You need to pray to Jesus. It gets ingrained in you as a child and children are very accepting of those things so when you get older of course it's going to be in your subconscious but you know holy water is just water (laughs) it's not going to do much Uh, if you see a sicky situation just get out of there just leave (laughs) (laughs) it's also interesting that alicia yelled her grandmother's name and that kind of helped stop it yeah yeah that right there like Pray to Jesus or something, TBD, but holler at your, you know, ancestors. They are like, we are here. How can we help you? 
grandma's busted and throwing warm cookies at it. I just imagine this little old lady just like walking up to this evil spirit and like backhanding it. <laughs> like, leave, leave her alone. Yeah. A, a grandma from New England. Yeah. <laughs> yes. From Massachusetts. <laughs> I'm sure that She's... is exactly what happened. And I love it. Or you could do exactly what my sister did, which she's giving us the next story. My lovely sister Cynthia is telling us a story about a scary house she used to live in. And the only way she got rid of it was she left. <laughs> just, just abandoned <laughs> it. Let's hear from Cynthia. Okay. So I am not somebody who ever believed in or ghosts or, or monsters really anything. In fact, I was always skeptical. There was always another reason why anything and everything happens, right? And there's, it's, so this story is actually really hard for me to tell because it's so outside of my scope of what I would consider to be like normal or acceptable, but it did happen. And I think it's important that, I guess at this point, I just recognize it. And um, it started when I moved into a house in Culver City, California, uh, and the house itself was located directly next to a gated-off field. So if you can picture this neighborhood, there's all these houses, um, and we had sort of like a small back house. But with the, among the houses, there were was this just this chunk of land directly next to us the size of what it could have been a small apartment building or, or a home, uh, just completely gated off with signs. And I lived there three, three or four years. You know, no one came to look at I mean, no one. We didn't really know what the land was for. And, of course, being in my early 20s, I didn't even think to look it up. Like, I didn't care. So my sister moved in uh, towards the, my last year at – living at this location and we had always had a ton of plumbing problems electrical issues so lights turning off and on you know the plumbing was bad but we chalked it up to basically that uh, we had these large trees and the roots were growing into the plumbing um, and that the neighborhood just had bad electricity and all of these you know crazy things and my you know my roommate at the time she really believed in you know, ghosts and, and all those things. So I, I was even more against the idea because I'm like, she's just being crazy. So I'm just going to ignore her. Basically I, I was leaving. I decided to move out and I was going to go on this uh, six month backpacking trip. And while I was on the trip, uh, I planned to sign my lease over to my sister. And the night before I left uh, typical music lights going off and on you know, um, electrical problems, typical, very, very normal uh, of us. Um, and the next morning is when I was going to see the landlord with my sister and, and sign the lease um, over to her. We were, we were sleeping in my room in my bed, which was going to become her room. And the room, my, just to give you an idea, my bed was located in a corner that a wind, like a large window covered the back of the bed all down the side into the backyard. And like I said, there's those big trees that we thought were, were kind of sort of going into the plumbing and messing with the electricity, which now I think about it, it sounds crazy. And so there was, there was a lot of shadows in the room because of the trees in the backyard. 
in we were sleeping and then I, in the middle of the night i woke up and i was on the outside of the bed and my sister was in the inside and i heard this like chewing sound and uh, i still hear it and it was like a slow like like a sloppy chewer but almost rhythmic so there was a, a definite pace to this gross chewing sound and um, I saw what looked like the, pr the profile, the end of the bed, very low, almost as if someone was on the, their knees at the edge of the bed, a really long, it looked like a really long, long nose and a face and this weird capped hat. And there was a profile, so the face was really um, distinct and like outlined. And so I immediately set, go back to, you know, blaming everything on the trees, right? So I'm like, oh, it's just the trees out there making that. And I can see the jaw of this, the silhouette, the, you know, moving at the same rhythm of the chewing sound. So it's just kind of rotating. I wave my hand in front of the windows and I realize it's not a shadow. Then I'm getting really freaked out. The, the only thing that really kept me together in that moment was one, because I, I typically am immediately trying to figure out what the reasonable, real, you know, situation is. Like the, the shadows, the light, there's a, maybe a blanket or I have my bags packed awkwardly. The second reason I was able to keep it together for so long is because this shadow person that was chewing wasn't, wasn't really looking at me. So it wasn't making eye contact, even though I could see one eye on the side. It was looking at my sister. So it, it really took me a moment to grasp what was happening. And I was like, no, no, this is not. So I, I sat up, I waved my arms. The, the shadow face never turned to look at me. It never stopped chewing. And it definitely wasn't coming from a shadow in the room. And the more that I looked at it, the more I realized it could be real. So in my very Cynthia-like way, I uh, just hid my face under the blankets and said, if you can't see me, I can't see you. I don't want to sleep. <laughs> That's what I did. So the next day, go to my landlord's with my sister. And I thought, you know, I'm just kind of freaked out by this, this whole situation. I didn't tell my sister yet. Um, in fact, I didn't tell her for years. I asked, why is there a giant empty field next to our, our house? You know, and I finally asked her, I was like, my, I was like, you know, my sister and my roommate, they think that it's haunted and the lights are going off and on. And my landlord looks at me and goes, well, that's because it is, it is haunted. She's like, I own the field next to the house and we've demolished the home and basically gated it off or fenced it off so that no one could live there. Um, and sometimes things bleed over, I guess. And this is prime real estate in Los Angeles. Okay. Like you're talking you know, anything you put on this property is going to be worth a million, two million at this point, this, these days, right? Five million plus dollars for this piece of land. It was also on the street. Like it was, it was between like the office buildings and us, but it, so it was like on the edge of the street. It could have been a commercial spot at this point. And like, so I'm like, wait, so this bitch is so crazy. She just like gates off this, this property. I'm like, okay, everyone's crazy. I'm not going to believe this. Like it just, so I go, 
I, you know, I'm at the airport and I'm, I'm going to leave. I was like, oh, I'm just going to do some Googling. It gets weirder. So then I find out that in the 1970s, there's a story about a woman who claims to have been raped by a ghost. And it literally happened in the neighborhood that I lived in. And they sent in all these like paranormal researchers to come in and check out this woman's being raped by a ghost story. There are some of the researchers said that they witnessed it. And it became this like massive story. So I'm like, did I live in a haunted neighborhood? And the only reason I have to deal with it was because I, I was just doesn't, didn't believe it. Well, flash forward, I, I move on. I don't think about it. I'm like, okay, this is stupid. Years later, I'm, I'm with my now husband and we're talking about ghost stories. And I told him, you know, my story. And he's like, that's so, that's so weird. It's like, you know, that's crazy. And then uh, literally like maybe a year later, he goes, Cynthia, remember that story you told me? He's like, I think I found a Reddit thread about it. I pulls it up. He's like, yeah, you heard of the hat man? And I was like, no, what's the hat man? And he's like, you have to, there's a documentary about the hat man. And they pull up, he pulls up this Reddit thread and there it is. There's the guy that I saw at the edge of my bed nine years earlier, right? Staring at my sister in the middle of the night, making a chewing sound. And apparently, I'm not the only person that's seen him. So now I'm like, if I talk about it, does that mean that now he's going to come after me and not my sister? Is my sister possessed by the hot man? I don't know. It really freaked me out. And there's a documentary about it. And some people actually have seen him not only just at night, but in the daytime too, because he hides in corners and shadowy corners. And he, he's always wearing a hat. I think the one interesting part is that I'm one of the few people that has seen it. There are stories, but seen it where he wasn't looking at me directly. He was looking at someone else and I was in the room. The other thing is that I'm also one of the few people who've seen this, this, the profile version. Most people, it's dead on, and he's looking directly at you. So I don't know if my sister's ever seen the hat man, you know, or if she's blocked it out or if she's always asleep. But it, it's a weird occurrence because it is exactly what I saw. Unless all of us are just crazy, I can't imagine that this thing isn't somewhat real. And that scares Unlike resorting to religion, I love how Cynthia was just like, oh, covers are up. If I can't (laughs) see you, you don't exist. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Well, covers are there. There's a man in the corner. He's not looking at me. So (laughs) see you later. It's it's a theater logic. If I don't see you, you don't see me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you're if anyone's curious about uh, the ghost encounter from the 70s or the lot that's behind that house. Uh, we'll include some links on our website when we post the episode. But you can also go read up on Doris Byther's case, which is the woman from the 70s. So yeah, it's pretty spooky stuff. Yeah, and then we have those friends of ours who go looking for things rather than just, you know, saying, nope, I'm done. My friend Chris, he has another story about being at the lake and uh, seeing some pretty creepy stuff there. The absolute creepiest, 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 most messed up, like, scare me out of my mind, um, like, legitimately fearful shit happened to me uh, actually when I was in college. 
uh, in the early 90s, in the, in the mid 90s. So back then, we used to go to um, Lighthouse Beach in Evanston. Me and my friends all lived on the northwest side, but we found Lighthouse Beach because uh, our one friend Pete lived in Evanston. And he's like, hey, there's this really cool beach that we can totally sneak into at night and hang out there and, and stuff. And uh, we went there and it was cool because, you know, if you went down the trail all the way and went to the right, you went to just a regular old secluded beach. If you went to the left, you kind of dipped into this wooded area where there are a bunch of rocks and stuff, a little path and a bunch of rocks and like, but it's like heavily wooded. And there was also like a, a lighthouse and then like old arts center right there too. And so we would go there at night as you do in your twenties when you don't have any money to, to go sit at Denny's all night. You just want to be, you know, outdoors doing things that you want to be doing in private outdoors. So we would go there and hang out. We would commonly go over by the rocks because, you know, it's, it's secluded. You can sit there and talk. You know, you're not, you're not bothering anybody. You're not, you're not causing any trouble. Uh, you know, we would go there all the time and we would hear, like, we'd hear noises and we're like, oh, probably just animals. And, you know, the more we were there, and I don't know if this is like something with, with the spirit world that when it, when the spirit world starts seeing you, um, maybe they get a little bit more comfortable with you and they're more willing to show themselves to you. Or if this is just something that it was coincidence that it took a while for things to start manifesting themselves. But at that time in the mid nineties, I wasn't drinking. I wasn't smoking pot. I was like the sober dude from my circle of friends, but I really enjoyed hanging out with them. You know, I really enjoyed hanging out with intoxicated people because it's fun. You know, we would go there, you know, after our, our shifts at the jewel and go sit on the rocks and hang out and talk. And I, I was the first one to notice something. You know, I was, I, I saw like not super far in the distance, but like maybe 10, 15 yards away, a dark shadow, very nimbly hopping from rock to rock. It wasn't an animal. It was definitely like a human figure, probably bigger than not quite maybe the size of a teenager, but definitely bigger than like a, I don't know, maybe like the size of maybe like a 10 or 11 year old. And it was very, very nimbly hopping from rock to rock to rock without making any noise from the, the trees or branches around it, just completely quiet. And then it hopped, hopped and then disappeared. And I was like, I smacked my friends. I'm like, holy shit, did you, look, did you see that? And they're like, what, what? And I'm like, the thing is hopping and it disappeared. And they're like, well, no, we didn't. And I was like, I'm telling you, a hoppy thing, jumping off in the distance. They're like, was, was it a raccoon or something? I'm like, no, it was 100% like a human figure. And they're like, well, do we able to like pick out any fear or something? No, it was like looking at somebody's shadow hopping, just like this black, dark figure hopping on rocks. And then when it got to the lake, it disappeared. Oh, I'm getting like just shivers, like thinking about that right now, like uncomfortable shivers. A few weeks later, my buddies, Tim and Pete were there. They witnessed the same thing, except it was much bigger than what I saw. And it was like a very large human and it wasn't hopping. It was standing there uh, in the distance about the same spot. And I mean, it was a shadow. So like they couldn't tell if it was staring at them or staring away from them, but it was just standing there. And they're like, yeah, time to go. So they left. 4th of July that year, we went there to watch fireworks and there were a lot of people there. There was this dude who I was just randomly talking to. And I was like, yeah, 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 fireworks, whatever. And like, I turn around lying on the ground, like right behind me. And at first I'm like, oh, that's just somebody fucking around. But there was like totally like just black shadow figure just lying on the ground right behind me. I turn around I'm like, oh shit. And the guy's like, what? I'm like, do you see that? And he's like, see what? And I look back down and there's nothing there. And I explained to him what I saw. He's like, so... 
I'm really stoned. What drugs are you on? And I'm like, I'm not on any drugs. I swear I saw that. And then I ran into Tim. I found him and I told him and he's like, yeah, there's spooky shit going on over here. Um, we didn't stop going there. Uh, <laughs> the second most creepy thing that we saw there when we weren't, when we weren't actively looking for something. Well, no, this was the creepiest thing we saw while we weren't actually looking for something. We were walking through the woods as we normally did. And where we would sit, there were like a collection of rocks. There was a really big flat one. And then there were like two sort of flat ones that were like uh, off to the side. And the big flat one, if you stood there and looked down, you would just see the lake. And my friend Tim would always sit there kind of in an angle. If you look at the lake, not quite staring at the, the skyline, but like in an angle, staring across the, uh, the lake. So it's a very specific sort of sitting style. And he would, he always kind of like, would like slunch over a little bit, keep his hands between his knees. And so we walked down these rocks and sitting exactly where Tim sat. And I don't know how else to explain this. You know, in the movie Predator, when Predator goes invisible and like, you can see that he's there because it's like, sort of like that glassy sort of shimmer to it. Sitting there was the perfect figure of a human being with that like shimmer on the rock, sitting exactly how Tim sits. And we're, we, we both just, we, all three of us, we just stop. We're standing there and this like frozen solid can't move because we don't know what the hell we're looking at. This thing turns its head slowly. And like, you could tell that it's like looking at us now. And we're just like, oh shit. And we like, we stood there and it's staring at us and we're staring at it. And I'm like, guys, let's slowly back away. And so we're slowly backing away and it stared us down until we were like, back up out of it out of like it's like we could still see it when we were back up at the top of the wooded area and we look back down and it's still there and it like turned its head we're like oh fuck so that scared the shit out of us most normal human beings would be like yeah i'm not going there anymore uh we actively went start looking for shit yeah and so like we would commonly like walk around the dunes because there's like a little dune area there you know we would like find cold spots but not in like places you would expect them to be like you would think that like at the bottom of a dune there'd be a cold spot and there was but then you'd walk around in other sections, like higher up, you'd find one specific spot that was cold and then you'd move over and it would be fine and move back. It was cold. That's sort of like ghost hunting 101 kind of like things to look for. None of us had cameras really. So we couldn't like go in there taking pictures or anything, or we didn't have any kind of, we didn't think to bring a tape recorder or anything like that. Um, Cause we didn't know about any of that stuff. This is before the internet really before, you know, there was this vast sort of network of how to find out how to be a ghost hunter <laughs> or whatever. But so what we started doing is we would start exploring kind of the grounds and around like the main house, which is sort of like an arts, I guess like a, an art center. Now we were exploring and we found like this uh, fire escape on the side that we were able to access. And so we wanted to kind of see what was um, we saw. We thought we saw something in the window, like up on the top floor. So we all started climbing up the, the ladder. Tim went first. I went second. Then behind me was Pete um, I heard this clear as day. Pete, who kind of had a penchant for conspiracy theories and, and you know, stuff like that and get inside his own head a lot, you know, in any other circumstance, if Pete was be like, I heard this thing, like, we'd be like, okay, Pete, we, we'd be, we'd be a little skeptical, but I was right in front of him. I heard it clear as day. We heard this like young voice whisper his name and it sounded like it was right next to us, sort of like. Like if Pete was right behind me and I was right in front of him, it was kind of like in between us. He's like, it was definitely above me. Was that you? I'm like, no, it was definitely below me. Was that you? He's like, no. And we just heard Pete, Pete, 
And he was like, what? I'm like, what? He's like, did you hear that? I'm like, I, I heard you say your name. He's like, that wasn't me. <laughs> but like, it didn't sound like Pete, but I assumed that he was like messing with me, but it 100% wasn't him. But like, that wasn't the first time that happened. And whatever it was took a major liking to him because like, if anybody was going to get touched, it was going to be him. If anybody, if anybody's name was going to be heard and it was something we would hear, like it wouldn't be just him. Like it would be Pete. The ghosts really liked messing with him. Maybe it's because they knew that he kind of was a little bit more open and less skeptical <laughs> of stuff. <laughs> it was really scary because we got to the top and we didn't see anything in that window. But whatever that was, I think likely wanted us to go up there to let us know that uh, it knew who we were. We went back a few more times and nothing super, super spooky happened after that to me. Tim, you know, who's no longer with us, unfortunately, had a bunch of other stories because they would go there all the time, like way more than I would go there. So he had a bunch of other stories. Uh, other people that I that I know from that time have a bunch of stories, too. And like years and years later, I was listening to WGN, I think, probably mid 2000s, like maybe like as uh, before I was married. So like maybe 2005, maybe 2006 at the latest. I was listening to WGN and Richard Crow was on overnight. You know, normally he goes through the the usual, like the Eastland disaster and the and Resurrection Mary and like all the big ghost stories of Chicago. He, he was talking about an accident that happened on Lake Michigan along the North Shore where I think it was it was some political party. It was some affiliation to the Democratic Party, I think, where the, the tour boat they were on sank and everybody died and the bodies were just washing ashore all along the North Shore. So like from Evanston all the way up to like, I think Waukegan, just bodies were like washing up on the shore. And I was like, oh, hey, I bet that's something. So yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that like whatever, whatever spirits were there were at least partially tied to that, you know? You know, I know there are a lot of like plane accidents in Lake Michigan from, uh, from World War II when, um, you know, they would use Navy piers, training grounds for, uh, for pilots. I know there's the, um, there's a Seaweed Charlie story of the uh, the cemetery along Sheridan, like right on the lake in Evanston, uh, where people see like a pilot covered in seaweed crossing Sheridan all the time going into the cemetery. I'm, I'm guessing that it's some weird combination of all those. And plus the fact that like Evanston's been around for a very long time and that land's been there way before, before, you know, any of us were here. You know, bodies of water are, are giant conductors for energy. So, and what doesn't really want us there? And, you know. Rightfully so, I think. He kept going back. He wanted more. He wanted to find <laughs> out the mystery of this creepy thing that exists. Well, I mean, I would keep going back to the lake if I saw Predator. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, he went back with his friends multiple times, but that is so spooky. If someone like whispered my name, mm -hmm. I would be like, um, I'm okay. I'm not going back. Bye. And then just, oh, God, the his description of how it just, like, turned its head and just stared oh. them down. Mm -mm. Nope. I don't believe that any of this stuff, like, ghosts and stuff are real. But I'm the type of person where, like, I want hard proof to make to see if it's real. So I would be going back for it. I'd be like Chris, going back. <laughs> and then to close it out, we've got one last story. Let's call it a palate cleanser. <laughs> In honor of the Halloween season and getting scared by things that really aren't that scary, but, you know, your mind is, is tricking you out. 
And my friend Gabby, who grew up in Connecticut, is going to share with us a story from checking out a local haunted house. In a small town, um, a little suburb, and I mean, I guess small is not the right word. There's like twenty thousand people in the town that I grew up in. It's part suburb, part rural. Like there's um, there are cows in open fields and tobacco fields. You know, my childhood was spent going outside, playing until the lights came on. You know, I was in a little biker, a biker babe crew called Biker Babes of Windsor. We would go around town. <laughs> So we would go around town just riding our bikes and causing all sorts of what we considered mayhem. So just to let you know, you know, how idyllic this this town that I grew up in was. Every year for Halloween, there was this one house in my neighborhood, like maybe a block or two away from my house. They really did Halloween up. Like they went all out. They, from October 1st until Halloween day, they would do a black and white horror film on their garage at night. <laughs> it was amazing. They didn't do the audio of the, of the movie. So you just see these like horror scenes with no context for like what was actually happening. It was fascinating. And I just thought that they were so rad for doing that. In addition to doing these black and white movies every day, they also put together a haunted house in their home. Um, and they let it be open to anybody uh, who wanted to come. So obviously me and my girlfriends were like, this is the year we're going to go. Our parents are letting us trick or treat by ourselves for the first time. This is going to be amazing. I was dressed up as a dead bride. <laughs> so I just had on like a white dress and I smeared blood and like ripped the dress and like frazzled my hair. And like that was my costume. <laughs> So we went out trick-or-treating, and then we decided we were going to end the night at the haunted house. So we get there, and they've got the black-and-white movie on the garage, and they've got, like, smoke machines. So it really creates this vibe when you get there. They've got, like, ooh, ah, you know, like those sorts of sounds are playing <laughs> when you walk up. You know, I had seen this house every day in the month of October for like multiple years. They, they've got these movies going, but this time I was like legitimately scared because <laughs> we were about to go inside to this haunted house. And I think we were maybe like 11. So, you know, we like adolescent teen girls do. We locked hands and we were like, we're going to go in together. <laughs> we realize when we get to the door that like we can't be in a horizontal chain. We can't do that. So we decide, you know, each of us is just going to hold the other one's hand. My friend Allie decided to take the lead. She was like, Let, I'm doing it. Let, let's go. So we walk in and there's like nobody in the house. The house is, you know, it's got different lighting and different rooms and they've got tables laid out with like snacks that are scary and spooky and a bowl of something and you stick your hand in and someone grabs your hand. And <laughs> I don't remember a ton about the interior of the house, but I remember that we sort of felt like, okay, this is, this is not as scary as we thought it was going to be. It's kind of like kitschy, you know? So we, we let go of each other's hands and we decide like, we're just going to venture off on our own. We let our guard down. Yep. You know, they've got it sort of like an Ikea store where you can only go in certain directions. Like you can't actually go into separate rooms or anything. So, you know, we're, we're, all together. And I end up at the front of the pack <laughs> because I'm like, this isn't scary. Like moving along, moving and grooving. 
So we get to the end, which it ends at the back of their house at the sliding glass door. And you can see into the blackness, the abyss of the night. And, you know, you think you're just like leaving and you're home, you're home free. But that is not what happened. I walk out and I'm prepared to just like go out there and wait for my girlfriends till they're ready to go. And uh, I step out onto their deck and I hear a chainsaw. I screamed or like yelped. I definitely yelped and I booked it. Like they make jokes about black people just run when they're scared. Like that is a hundred percent. I was like, fuck this. I'm out. I just took off. I just, I just took, I didn't, I wasn't concerned about my friends. I wasn't concerned about, (laughs) I was like, I'm out. (laughs) Nope. The guy, like he came out and he had, he had the overalls on and the, the like, plaid shirt and he had a mask on and the chainsaw and like the gloves. He did it up. He like totally did it up. And I saw it and I was like, I am not, this is not how I'm dying. <laughs> so um, I just, I booked it home, got to my house. I'm like panting, panting, panting. I'm like, oh damn, like I totally left my friends. <laughs> but you know, it was not the age of cell phones and I couldn't call their house at like 10 o'clock at night to like check on them. So it wasn't till like the next day that I called them to be like, are you okay? Did you survive? <laughs> it was like a big joke. Everyone was like, you know, poking fun at me for a while of like, wow, <laughs> you know, you, uh, not so tough, huh? You know, your friendship, our friendship has helped me heal from my chainsaw. <laughs> trauma. <laughs> Your love from for chainsaws has really helped me see the beauty in them as a horror tool. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, my love of chainsaws and chainsaw therapy, you know, it's like Batman. If you're scared of it, just embrace it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say I have yet to embrace cockroaches and they scare the bejesus out of me. <laughs> We don't ever need to embrace cockroaches. <laughs> One day they will embrace us. Yeah. Oh. When I was younger, any haunted house I went into, I definitely had my face planted into the into the back of my dad's like leather jacket. And I was just too scared um, to actually experience it. But I just love going and being in the ambiance. Yeah. And I, when I get scared or star- startled, I... Because Victor is getting to the point now where he likes to hide and jump out at me and scare me. Oh, fun. So- <laughs> yes, Victor. I love it. As, oh, my god! As long as I'm not, like, carrying anything, like, precarious or, like, I have a sharp object in my hand, it's fun. But, yes, he does startle me. And I'm not the kind of person to, like, scream. I'll, like, kind of jump and gasp. But when I go into a haunted house... I scream like there's just it, it is it's the atmosphere and it's just the how dark it is and just the onslaught of like audio stuff and like visual like strobe lights and everything and then all of a sudden something's at you like in your face and yeah I scream those are some great stories though yeah uh, right yeah thank you so much for listening to our spooky stories I hope that these scary stories don't give y'all nightmares. And just know that there aren't chains on those chainsaws. 
but that shadowy figure at the edge of your bed is definitely a ghost. (laughs) Make sure to check out our website, beyondthescreams.com, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We do monthly watch parties now on our Discord, and we're hosting a very fun Friday the 13th event in November on, you guessed it, Friday the 13th. Yeah. Oh, not Saturday the 14th. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure to sign up for our newsletter to stay updated and all the spooky haps. Join our Facebook group. Holler at us. Tell us your spooky stories. We want to hear from y'all. Yeah, send us an email. If you go on the website, send us some information. Talk to us. Yeah. You got stories? We'd love to hear them. Join our group on Facebook and uh, start a conversation. And we do have a Patreon. So if you liked these stories, we have extended versions. We've got more stories from Chris. We've got more information from Nelson about his haunted house. And even a relative of his who was a pastor and performed exorcisms. Spooky stuff. But also check out our Patreon because... We love doing this, and we would love to do this more for everyone. Absolutely. <laughs> that really helps us out. <laughs> Just so y'all know, uh, we will not be posting an episode next week because November has five Mondays, and we are all making sure that we go out and vote, and I hope everybody has a spooky Halloween. Happy Halloween, everyone.